Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. It's NFL Scouting Combine Week, so we're going to have a lot to say about the Combine and about the beginning of draft season. Um, We will be joined shortly by Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network, their uh, Combine and Draft Guru. Uh, I had a good conversation with uh, Jeremiah on Saturday as we record this late Monday afternoon, Miles Simmons, uh, my partner on this podcast, uh, has just gotten to Indianapolis uh, where the scouting combine is going to get into full swing pretty much starting tomorrow. And uh, there's a lot going on. There's also a lot going around on around the NFL. But Miles, let's let's just start by... Right now, your boots on the ground in Indianapolis, and I wonder what really interests you right now. What do you think is going to dominate this week in Indianapolis? Well, I think it's going to be quarterbacks, and it's not just the quarterbacks that are coming into this 2023 draft class, but also the veteran quarterback market. You know, we might start to see a little bit of movement from whether it's Aaron Rodgers and what is he going to do since he is now apparently out of the darkness and hopefully he had some sort of epiphany there that will help him decide what he wants to do next in his career. But also, you know, Derek Carr, right? He is on the open market. He is available to be signed right now because he was released. And when you have all of these NFL decision makers in one place, you have all of these agents here in one place, that is where these conversations can start happening and there can maybe start to be some sort of movement there. So, and you've got that aspect of it. And then these young QBs that are coming up, what are they going to do? Some of them are going to throw, some of them aren't going to throw. How are they going to present themselves to the media? It's going to be a fascinating week from that standpoint. So many good points and so much uh, coming out of what you just said. Um, And Before we get to Daniel Jeremiah, in my opinion, not that this should be a shock to anybody, but about a half hour before we started recording, uh, the Washington Commanders in a terse release announced that they had released uh, Carson Wentz, which really is no surprise. You know, they basically have been telling people that Sam Howell, their draft choice from last year, 
the quarterback was going to be the incumbent entering training camp. And that's certainly how new offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy uh, has been progressing uh, as he begins his new job in Washington. But to me, Miles, I, I want to discuss Carson Wentz for a moment. And I want to basically talk about how, in my opinion, this is one of the great ruined careers in recent NFL history. So let's just go back. <clears throat> you know, every year when I go to the scouting combine, I attempt to do a column coming out of the combine on either, you know, the top pick in the draft or a player who is fascinating to me. And so in 2016, I remember uh, there was a lot of buzz at the scouting combine about this fairly unknown quarterback because he played in division one double a um you know the uh the whatever that used to be called one double a whatever it is now fcs fbs i forget yes. what all those things are called but so he went to north dakota state and i remember i staked him out because I don't think he he had to do his 15-minute media period, and I don't think he wanted to do anything else. But I staked him out, staked him out, and finally found him just before he was going to leave Indianapolis. And I got, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes with him. He had his bag packed. He was ready to go into the van to the airport. And I will just never forget my conversation with him, because one of the most interesting things in that conversation was I asked him about something that I had read. And I said, Carson, is it true that I sound like Perry Mason or Columbo here, <laughs> you know, Carson Wentz, is it true? I said, is it true that in your 16 years of education, grades one through 12 in North Dakota, growing up in North Dakota, and then four years at North Dakota State, that you never got a grade below an A. And he was pretty sheepish about it, but he said, yes, I never got a B in my life. And so this guy was in so many ways precocious. And so obviously the Philadelphia Eagles traded a boatload of stuff to move up to get him in the draft, picked him. And we all recall in 2017, Carson Wentz was 11 and two in the Eagles first 13 games. But in that 13th game, he suffered a torn ACL on a scramble toward the end zone. Uh, I think at the LA Coliseum. Sure was. If I'm not mistaken. Yep. That, and, I was at that game. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so he's hurt. He's out for the year. Nick Foles comes in and now there's a statue of Nick Foles outside of Lincoln financial field. And I'm going to tell you a couple of things that over the last two or three years that I've learned, I've learned number one, that Carson Wentz quite literally thinks that that should be a statue of him, that if he had remained healthy that year, uh, that he was going to be the one to lead the Philadelphia Eagles to the promised land. He would be the guy who would be forever immortalized in Philadelphia, but instead 
It was just this happenstance guy, Nick Foles, who stepped in and played fantastic and scored 41 points on the great Belichick in the Super Bowl and had the great shootout win against Tom Brady. So all of that played on Carson Wentz. And as time went on in Philadelphia, he essentially let everything get to him. He let the fact that he got hurt that year and uh, was, uh, you know, had his Super Bowl chance taken away from him. He didn't play. Uh, he played well the next year. He didn't play great, but he played well the next year and he played well the following year. But then in 2020, uh, when the Philadelphia Eagles decided that they were going to draft Jalen Hurts in the second round, that really messed with his head. And they didn't draft Jalen Hurts to take over for Carson Wentz, even though that's what happened. They drafted him for low-cost backup, quality backup insurance. And yet that's the thing that ruined him. And now the last three years, 2020 in Philadelphia, crummy year. 2021 in Indianapolis, good numbers in Indianapolis, but failed at the biggest times down the stretch in Indianapolis. Uh, and the, uh, you know, the Colts didn't make the playoffs. And then obviously he was dis a disaster in Washington last year. Miles, it's almost like we're seeing a car crash before our very eyes. And now at age 30, Carson Wentz, if he chooses to continue to play, and I'm sure he will, he says he loves football, uh, will be on his fourth team in four years this year. And I would think absolutely unequivocally only as a backup quarterback. Oh, yeah, Peter. I mean, I, I don't think that there's any chance that anybody would even sign him to compete for a starting role. I mean, after what we've seen over the last few years, I don't know that there's any reason to think that he is a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL. And, and you know, he did look like an MVP in the 2017 season. And I, I can see where it, it would be hard to get over that. But at the same time, if, if you're a competitor, you have to, you know, and I looked at that 2020 season that he had with the Eagles. And I remember he was tied for the league lead in being in number of times he was sacked and he didn't even play in the last few weeks of the season, which tells you just how bad his pocket presence was. Right. I mean, sacks are a lot of times. Yeah, we can say that they're on the offensive line, but many times they're also on the quarterback. And that has been part of what's been his problem, at least since 2020. So, yeah, you look at what his career has come into now. And, you know, a couple of years ago, it looked like maybe one or both of Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, the top two picks of the 2016 draft, would not be starters for much longer, right? I mean, especially after 2020, look what happened with the Rams there. But now... I mean, Jared Goff looks like he's probably the answer with Detroit. I mean, they, we're not really talking about them as being a part of this quarterback conversation at all. And now you look at Carson Wentz, and man, it's been the last three years. It's just gone down, down, down. And it's going to be interesting to see what he decides to do next, Peter, with whatever he wants his career to be. Yeah, you know, what I would say right now is I think obviously he's – He's blown away right now. He has to be blown away with exactly what has happened to him in his career. 
But I think what he needs to do uh, late in his career in Philadelphia, he basically stopped taking coaching from Doug Peterson. And I think he has to go somewhere, honestly. I think he has to go somewhere that has a really good head coach. And I mean, I'll give you a place that if I were if I were him, I don't even know if they'd have any interest. But in my opinion, if I were him, I'd want to go to Denver. And I'd had I'd basically have Sean Payton day one say, absolutely unequivocally, Russell Wilson is our quarterback. We're not going to have a competition for it. But we think that there could be some great upside. And look, best thing that could happen to them is sign Carson Wentz to a two-year deal and he plays a little bit this year when he has to and they make his career reclamation project and they trade him for a middle round draft pick you know after the season but anyway he needs to go somewhere forget about playing football he needs to go somewhere and learn the position all over again and really have greatness reinforced to him yeah, and, and I, I think Denver could be a good place for that. And, I mean, the other part of that scenario is if Russell Wilson doesn't end up being better under Sean Payton right. and then you know, Carson Wentz comes in there and, you know, who knows, maybe he does light it up. You know, it's the – he's with uh, a new head coach and that head coach and the quarterback, they get it right for whatever reason. You know, that could be a solution in Denver potentially. So, I mean, I think that would make sense as a spot. You know, maybe – he would want to go to Kansas City, be a backup to Patrick Mahomes because there's well, another good spot, right? I mean, that's another place where we know that you're going to learn quarterbacking. You know, you're going to have Andy yeah. Reid. You know, you have Matt Nagy, who has done a good job with Patrick Mahomes historically. So that could be another interesting spot there, where yeah, you know, you if you're Kansas City, you still want a good veteran backup that you can come in, that can come in and you can trust. Look what Chad Henney did in that playoff game against the Jacksonville Jaguars to keep that team afloat while Patrick Mahomes getting his ankle looked at. So, I mean, that's another team that puts a premium on that position. And so who knows, maybe he's a fit there. So Miles, we're going to talk more about quarterbacks, more about the combine, more about the competition committee and everything else in the back half of the podcast. But first I talked to Daniel Jeremiah the other day, uh, as I do every year to get a preview of the combine and a preview of this year's draft. As usual, he made me a smarter person. So here's my conversation with Daniel Jeremiah. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. For the world's greatest athletes. 
this is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Gold for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Back on the podcast. Happy to be joined this week by Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network. Um, you know, he's the guy who I really trust the most of all of. And look, the draft has become a cottage industry. Very, very much so. And... Um, I just I respect his ratings and I respect his opinions for a very simple reason. I know how much people in the game respect Daniel Jeremiah. So, Daniel, it's great to have you on the uh, on the pod this week. Oh, it's great to see you, Peter. It's hard to believe like the uh, I feel like the gap from when the season ends to when this whole thing cranks up. It's It's completely gone. It's gone. Well, think about it. We're recording this on Saturday. Uh, it'll uh, be posted either late Monday or Tuesday uh, as the combine begins. And as we record this on Saturday, the Super Bowl was 13 days ago. <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's borderline absurd. You know, hey, you know, before we start this, Daniel, I would really love to ask you what your overriding feeling was watching the Super Bowl, watching these two great young quarterbacks. One of them drafted, uh, I think I'm right in saying these, one of them drafted 10th, one of them drafted in the 50s. And, uh, you know, just really without any question, they're going to be great players barring injury for the next 10 to 15 years. What do you think of the Super Bowl? What do you walk away from the Super Bowl thinking? Well, I, I walk away, you know, with my own thoughts on it, Peter, and then they were echoed by my conversations around the league. You know, when you talk to friends and they're sitting there saying, how how are we going to stop these quarterbacks? You hope you have one of them. Yeah. Um, but if you don't, what, what we have to go, A, we got to go find one with an upside that's that's at that level. And then the second question, and this has been in talking to some GMs, like in their draft meetings, literally the questions are, is this guy going to help us get off the field against Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen? Is this pass rusher going to help us get off the field? Is this corner going to be able to hold up against these guys? Um, and building your team towards trying to deal with the this next generation of star quarterbacks, particularly in the AFC. I, uh, I think that's a real interesting way to look at it. And as we get into this, um, the one thing that sort of – my overriding thing, and I always ask you this because I'm not a big college football watcher. The first time I ever start thinking about the draft is when I have this conversation with you. <laughs> and then when I go to the scouting combine, which I'll do uh, this coming week. Uh, so I don't know anything. I come at this, you know, basically saying, okay, I know who Jalen Carter is, but I don't know if he's really going to be great. I know who Bryce Young is. But how do I know? So sum up for me, if you can, Daniel, what you think about the quality of this draft and maybe where it's strongest. 
Well, I think it's an interesting draft in that the the top end of it doesn't have maybe what we've had in years past in terms of the elite high-end players. Now, I, I love Jalen Carter. I love Will Anderson as the defensive guys. But when you put those two guys, those are my top two players after that, I mean, I think there's holes and questions on just about everybody. And, you know, it starts with the quarterbacks with Bryce Young and all those quarterbacks in this draft. There's there's five of them, I think, that are going to end up being starters. Um, but they all have flaws. They all have holes. They're, in other words, there's not a Trevor Lawrence. There's not a Joe Burrow. There's not an Andrew Luck. There's not one of those guys where you come into it saying, okay, I, I'm, I feel really, really confident about this one. So I, I think there's, uh, you know, there's some discrepancy around the league in terms of how you're going to have these guys ordered, maybe more so than, than any other year that I can remember. Um, but in terms of the positional depth, uh, some positions are really strong. It's the best tight end group um, I've seen in the last 10 years. It's exceptional. There's so many guys. There's tons of talent. Um, the running back group is really deep. Um, the uh, interior offensive line group is solid uh, in terms of the depth as you go through it. Then you go to the the defensive side of the ball. I think it's a really deep group of corners. Um, I think it's a deep group of edge rushers um, in terms of the value there on the defensive side of the ball. So those are kind of the, the strong positions. I would say receiver is not, for me, it's not up to what it's been over the last few years. We've had just an unbelievable run of talent and guys that have come in and made an immediate impact. I don't think we have quite that um, that high-end group of wide receivers that we've seen over the last handful of years. So would you say it's fair as I look at your uh, board, you know, your your top players, not the mock draft, your mock draft 2.0, which is out. But as you look at uh, your top players, four of the 15 top players, four of the top 14, actually, are the top four quarterbacks in this draft. So you have the quarterbacks ranked fairly high, but you say all of them have their little issues. Yeah, and, and the reason why they're that high is because the players that they're surrounded by also have concerns or or issues as well. And then you just go to the positional value and say, okay, well, if they've got concerns and issues and holes, you know, the quarterback has the potential to have the biggest impact. Um, so, you know, the way I kind of look at the, the quarterbacks to some degree is if, if they're going to be lottery tickets, if you're going to go to the store and buy a lottery ticket, you might as well buy the one that has the biggest potential payout. And that's, you know, kind of how I look at where I stack these quarterbacks because they're, you know, while there's risk involved, I do think these guys have really, really high upside across the board. Let's, let's do a couple of things that I want to make sure I get to. Okay. Yep. So I, I want to ask you about each quarterback individually what you think of them and where you think they might be a little bit suspect. Let's yep. start with Bryce Young of Alabama, who right now you have number three on your board. He's a, he's an unbelievable player. Um, and in terms of like, what do you like about him? It's almost like, what do you not like about him? When you watch him on the video, you see somebody that's, you know, you talk about the the important characteristics of a quarterback. He's got poise. He's got uh, excellent accuracy. He's a really good decision maker. He can make plays within the framework of the offense. He can make frame uh, plays outside the framework of the offense. Uh, when you talk to the people at the school, they rave about his football intelligence. They rave about his work ethic. You know, they talk about him. You know, they would they would have a scouting report on Sunday. So you play a game on a Saturday. They give you the scouting report for the next week's game on a Sunday. 
most people and most normal college quarterbacks, they'll, they'll get to that on Monday. Um, they'll watch the tape with everybody and then they'll have time to process that and maybe have some thoughts on it. They said he would show up Monday morning, having already studied the entire opponent tape and would come in with corrections and ideas on the game plan saying, I actually like this protection against this one better. I actually like this, this route combination this week. And they said a lot of times they adopted those opinions. So, you know, the work ethic, the intelligence, every, every box he checks, Peter, it's just, he's not big. Um, that's the knock. That's the concern. And it's not really six the height feet tall, right? Yeah. I think he'll probably be under six feet tall is the expectation. I know I'm talking to the, to the place where he was working out uh, as of yesterday or the day before he was 198 pounds. So he's put on some weight. I think there's a chance he could be at 200 by the time he tips the scales in Indy. Um, what did he play? What did he play at, at Alabama? I think he played in at around 190 um, at Alabama. So that's uh, you know, he's had a little bit of weight there. But he doesn't have a big broad shouldered frame. I'm you know, I'm looking forward to seeing him in person. I have yet to see him in person. Every evaluator that I talk to, and you know, they know what I think of him as a player. And they said, okay, well, just be aware. Don't be jarred when you see him because it's almost it'll make you step back a little bit when you see him. He's not big. Um, so that's his uh, that's his knock there. It's just whether or not he can physically hold up. Remember the first time I ever met Russell Wilson in training camp with the Seahawks in 2012 i remember he he said to me hey uh am i bigger than breeze uh and you know so obviously these guys know it's an issue and they've been pounded in the head about it so obviously that's going to be his biggest issue um (laughs) let's go to your number eight overall player cj stroud quarterback ohio state yeah, CJ, um, I thought he, he made improvements from last year to this year um, in, in terms of simply arm strength. I thought he threw the ball with more velocity this year on on drive throws. He's a pure thrower. Like if you want to watch somebody go out there um, and throw the ball on air, in terms of the ball comes out of his hand, it's a pure motion. Um, he spins it really well. He's accurate. Uh, when he's on schedule and on time, he's really good. He can make every type of throw. Um, he's not real dynamic or urgent or explosive in terms of his movements. Um, and you wanted to see him, I wanted to see him play, you know, a little bit more off schedule. In other words, when he got moved off of his spot to be a little bit more productive, I thought when you could move him and get him uncomfortable, I thought his play suffered. And then of course he goes into the playoff game against Georgia and, and it's the best I've ever seen him play and making plays off schedule, moving, having to move off that spot, create, make things happen. Um, you know, and it's kind of the old scouting adage of if you can do it once you can do it. So, you know, it's, it's in there. I wish I would have seen more of that throughout his time at Ohio state. Um, but in terms of just being a, a pure thrower, uh, processing well, getting the ball where it needs to go accurately. He's, uh, he's excellent. You know, and it's six, three, he's not going to have that height question. Um, I've seen, you know, I watched a couple of his games this year. And, you know, I watched the Michigan game and obviously that's probably not the best game to watch. But what I thought was really interesting about him is that he really looks like a confident football player. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he does not have he has he has very, very confident movements. You don't see him with the happy feet. Uh, I just. I when I looked at him, I said, 
this guy won't surprise me if he starts opening day wherever he goes. Yeah, I mean, you're you're the wordsmith, so stoic is kind of one of the words that that I wrote down when you watched him. Like he's he's not going to be budged or or moved or and not going to. He's very comfortable sitting in there. And to some of that, I almost want to see him be a little bit uncomfortable where I can see him take advantage of some opportunities that might be out there with his legs. But he is he's very firm and he's very confident in the pocket. Your ninth rated overall player from Kentucky is quarterback Will Levis. Tell me about Will. Yeah, Will's a you know, is a tough evaluation. Uh, when I watched him over the summer. Um, I liked a lot of things that I saw from him. He saw him move around a lot better uh, the previous year. He was healthy. This year he battled a toe injury, battled a shoulder injury. Um, he didn't run nearly as much, wasn't as productive as a runner. Um, the The scenery changed around him. The offensive line was better last year. They lost a couple guys to the NFL. Um, you look at the uh, the receivers around him, he lost his, his, top, his top guy, you know, got picked by the Giants and Wandale. So they – um, the talent wasn't great around him, but when you watch him, you still see every type of throw you can make, he can do it. He's got a really strong arm. You know, when he's healthy, he's a good athlete. The two things that you got to navigate around are the turnovers, you know, the combination of, of fumbles and interceptions, and then taking a ton of sacks. Um, so that's one of those things where in this role that I'm in, it's harder. Um, I would love to be with a team to be able to bring him into the room, to be able to go through all these turnovers, go through the sacks, and let him explain it because when you watch it, you know, there's times where I think, okay, this, you know, this looks like a wide receiver might've busted. This looks like the offensive line might've screwed up a protection. Obviously there's going to be a good number of those that are on him, but uh, I think it's going to be a valuable combine for him. Even if he didn't, you know, put on shorts and go out there and work out, just meeting with teams and being able to kind of explain some of those things that you saw on tape. I, I like where you have him going number seven to the Raiders, because, and look, we still don't know what happened with Derek Carr and Josh McDaniels, but I can tell you that Josh McDaniels coaches guys hard. Yeah. He coached Brady hard. And I think, and you talked to Brady and Brady appreciated it. Mm -hmm. And I, <clears throat> I think this guy, everything you just said is the very limited amount that I heard, you know, you got to figure out why he makes some of what appear to be unforced errors. Yeah, You've got to stop him from making those, obviously, or else, you know, he's not going to be good for very long. And I think the Raiders is a good place to go, especially if the Raiders re-sign Jarrett Stidham, because <laughs> I think Jarrett Stidham proved late in the year last year that he can be at the very least a placeholder for a little while, maybe even for his rookie year for Levis's rookie year. So I kind of like him going to the Raiders. Yeah. You know, I, I think you got to have a, a plan with him in place. I think probably early on um, provided he's healthy, his legs will be a little bit more part of his game um, and maybe try and limit him a little bit in terms of the number of times you really want to throw it to start out with. Um, but you've got a lot to work with. You know, the last quarterback that we'll talk about is a guy you have rated number 14 on your uh, on your list, Anthony Richardson from Florida, who uh, there's evaluations of him all over the board. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the the thing where you'll find people be unanimous in their opinion on it, though, is if you said all of these four quarterbacks reach their absolute potential and get the most out of what they have 
that he's at the top of the list. I mean, he, there's more there. The the size, the athleticism, the arm strength. You know, I if if you're an alien spaceship and you landed and the only you know the you only watched the Utah game of his of his season and and watched that game, you think he's the best football player on the planet. I mean, he's he was unbelievable in that game. But yeah. you know, the consistency is just not there. It's a roller coaster ride that you go on. Um, but you know, there's some other good games. It wasn't just a one, you know, one game deal. Missouri, he was pretty good. Um, but then you've got games where he just sprays it all over the place. The accuracy can really, you know, come and go on him. Uh, the decision-making, he tries to do a little bit too much. I think he's somebody that if he would have gone back to school and just kind of continued on his progression, I think he'd be a slam dunk, you know, top five pick next year. And when it's all said and done, as we go through this whole process, he might end up being a top five pick this year because people are going to say this is this is all there, and and we we're confident we're going to be able to figure it out, and get it out of him. But you know, been watching tape for a long time and studying players for twenty years. When you're playing against the likes of LSU as a quarterback and you have eighty yard runs, and you're playing in the SEC other SEC games, you see fifty and sixty yard runs from the quarterback who's six four, two hundred thirty five pounds. That's not normal. Um, so there's uh, there's a ton of talent in there. Yeah, very interesting. Um, let's talk a little bit about the premier players in this draft. Okay, you have Jalen Carter, your top-rated player. If the Bears hang on to this pick, it seems incredibly logical that that's who they would take. Why do you love Jalen Carter? He's he's can take over the game and just be a complete disruptor, even if it doesn't necessarily show up on the box score. He draws so much attention. He creates such havoc on the inside. And you can line him up all the way across the, the line. You can move him around and play him anywhere. And uh, you know, his change of direction, his explosiveness, it's pretty elite. I mean, I I loved Quinn and Williams coming out, had a huge grade on Quinn and Williams. I think that there's similar ability here. I think Jalen Carter actually is a little bit better athlete than Quinn uh, coming out. So um, that's the type of impact I think he can have at the next level. You have Willie Anderson, your top rated edge player, and you like a lot of edge players in this draft. So tell me what you think of Willie Anderson. He's your second rated overall player right now. Yeah, I mean, he's it's not anything new with him. You've seen it when as soon as he got on the field at Alabama, I thought he, you know, established himself as a dominant player. You know, he's really, really explosive. Um, you see it in his hands. You see it in his get off. You know, his quickness that he possesses is, is pretty outstanding. He's not a Von Miller type athlete at the top of his rush in terms of his ability to really bend the edge and, and kind of wrap around. But he's got so much twitch and so much power in such a short area um, you know, it, that, that makes him a nightmare to deal with, uh, in the passing game. So, um, I'm anxious to see him in person, see him move around. I know when talking to, you know, the, the facility where he was training, one of the things that, that I enjoyed, one of the stories I thought was, was interesting is if you've watched these guys at training facilities, they'll do a lot of drills where you've got a band wrapped around a player and you've got a coach that's attached to him. And so that player's running and the coach is resisting and he's behind him. And this this trainer's been doing this for a very long time, and he said he had more more horsepower than anybody I've ever done that with. Like you can wow. feel him when he takes off and goes. You 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 can you can feel that jolt. Wow. You know, I'm I'm just I'm really interested, you know, in in how they go at the top of this draft because 
clearly, if you need an edge player, you know, I think you and you had it in one of your mocks, you know, you had Tyree Wilson of Texas Tech, who on your board is mm-hmm. the second best edge guy, but you had him actually being taken ahead of Will Anderson. Why was that? Yeah, I, I think it's entirely possible. And, you know, sometimes in mock drafts, I'm just trying to prepare people of what could potentially happen. And it was right. last year. Last year it was when we were having this conversation, it was Trayvon Walker. And, you know, get to know the name. I know, you know, people think he maybe he's going to go in the middle of the first round, but he's got some rare, rare traits. And the upside is is something that a lot of teams are going to chase. And don't be shocked if he goes high. Now, when we had that conversation last year, I think he would be 1-1. No, no. Um, but it was a name that people needed to get more familiar with. And that to me, Tyree Wilson's going to be kind of that person in this draft where he's got an NBA like wingspan. He's enormous. He's long, he's really athletic. Um, and he's got more production than Trayvon Walker had quite honestly, you know, in college, you've seen him do it. So, you know, I, I think there's teams and talking to some teams that is a closer, that's closer between him and Will Anderson, um, than maybe a lot of people on the outside would expect. I always thought one of the weirdest things really was that Trayvon Walker was the first player picked in the NFL draft and he never was first or second team all SEC. <laughs> and I just said, something is wrong with this picture. You know, I don't know what it was. And look, I was, I was pretty impressed with him mm-hmm. last year at Jacksonville. He is a, a little bit of a, of a game record. Now, you know, he didn't play great all the time, but I, toward the end of the season, when you're watching Jacksonville a little more, then you know why Trent Baalke went out on, on such a limb for him. Yeah, and I think he's still trying to figure out as a pass rusher. You know, the thing is, normally yeah. you take a guy with the first overall pick, you want more production, you know, in that department in a passing right. league to be able to rush the passer. And I thought Aiden Hutchinson was clearly ahead of him coming into the league. And it shouldn't have been a surprise that he's ahead of him after year one. But I think with that pick, they're betting on what's going to look like year three. In the remaining time we have, I want to ask you about two other things you have uh, when you rank the players, regardless of where you think they're going, but the best players in this draft. Mm -hmm. Number four on your list is a running back. (laughs) E. John Robinson from Texas. And that one really slapped me in the face. Why do you have a running back fourth overall? Well, it's the grade that he gets, you know, and when on a grading scale, when you're with a team, the grades are a lot of times, you know, attached to verbiage, right? So if you're talking about somebody that's got a chance to be a top five player at his position, somebody who is not only a, you know, a pro bowl caliber player, he's an all pro caliber potential player. Um, Those are the type of uh, words that are attached to this grade that I gave him. It's the same grade I gave him as the same grade I gave to Christian McCaffrey. Um, It's the same grade that I gave to Saquon Barkley. Um, So these guys are, you know, yeah, and we can, you know, it's a long debate. If you want to do the running back thing, do you take him? Do you not take him? Yeah, you know, that's a long, long debate, and people are well established on uh, on where they stand there. I'm just saying, as a player, how he grades out, he grades out to me as the fourth highest graded player of the draft. Here's the other guy who, you know, even somebody who's a numbskull about college football, I paid a lot of attention to last year. It was Jordan Addison. 
He's mm-hmm. the wide receiver who transferred from Pitt to USC before last year. Uh, was a big NIL story for a while. Had a very good year. And you have him going number 12 overall, Houston's second pick in the first round and in your latest mock draft. And I just kept thinking to myself, I said, you know, I think just gut feeling. Yeah. You're a fan of the Houston Texans and you've got two picks in the top 12 and you take the best quarterback in the draft and the best wide receiver in the draft. You're throwing a parade for Nick Casario. <laughs> and I, I got the Houston Texans fans mad at me on that one because of what I said, Peter. I said, look, and I you know, do the Charger game. So I've been to Houston twice in the last couple of years. And I said, and, and I said, keep in mind, they won. The Texans even won one of those games. But I said, not only has the team been bad, the team's been boring. Yeah, uh, it's not a, it's not a well, fun right. watch. And they got yeah. all mad at me. So oh, we played these one possession games. I'm saying, well, then why is nobody in the stadium? Because nobody wanted to watch them. Uh, yeah. And all of a sudden now with with the back and Damian Pierce and now you bring in the quarterback and Bryce Young and now you've got Addison, you've got one of the premier left tackles in Laramie Tunsil. Like I'm a proponent of trying to fix one side of the ball. I know they've got yeah. issues and warts all over the place, but man, you fix the offense. At least we're watchable and fun uh, yeah. while you're trying to win games. But you know what's so weird about this? Honestly, when I think about it, you know, they just the Houston Texans hired D'Amico Ryan's. Yeah. And he looks at his team and he goes, I'm telling you, if we got a chance to get, you know, if we got a chance to get one of these really good edge guys who we like, we got we got to get them. We need them. We mm-hmm. definitely need uh you know a rusher to affect uh the 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 quarterbacks of the AFC South. But when you look at it, Peter, like the- to me, the challenge is when you bring in a quarterback, when you have all these other issues on that side of the ball, and when you look at Houston, this team was 30th in points per game. They're 31st um, in rushing yards per game. They're 31st in third downs. Like, okay, now you just drafted a quarterback, and you haven't really put him in a position where he can be successful. So that, that to me, even though the warts are where they are on the defensive side of the ball, I'm trying to give my young quarterback as much help as I can possibly give him. Last question I'll ask you, who's the guy who you are most intrigued with of all these guys that you think is going to, or all these guys that you think are going to go in the first round, who's the most intriguing prospect to you when you look at him, you say, man, I can't wait to see where this guy goes. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'll give you one that uh, unfortunately I don't think he's going to be able to do much at the combine because he's coming off of an injury. But one that I'm I'm very high on, maybe more so than most people, is Dalton Kincaid was the the tight end from Utah. And it's it's fascinating. I'm you love Dalton Kincaid, man. I, I was him. listening I love to him. you, man. And I you, love him. you love this guy. Yeah, and it's just, you know, and I know this is such a loaded tight end class and he's coming off of an injury. Um, so, you know, again, we don't know how much we're going to see him and people say, Oh, he can't, he's not going to go as high as you have him. I'm like, yeah, I don't really care if he goes with the 10th overall pick. He's my 10th overall player. If he goes with the 45th pick, I'll feel great about it. Once we see him on NFL field, making plays, but you know, you're just talking about USC a minute ago, you watched that first game that they played against, uh, against Utah. And I, I was watching all the targets as you go through the season. I'm watching all the targets on Dalton Kincaid. 
And I thought, man, I must have dozed off because I feel like I've been watching him catch balls against USC for the last 15 minutes. Like, how many catches does this guy have in this game? They, they couldn't stop him. I mean, the numbers, you can pull them up. They're ridiculous. But when everybody knows where it's going and you can't do anything about it, like, that's a true difference maker. This guy was playing down the street from me at University of San Diego not that long ago. And then through this whole transfer process, gets at Utah. And then, you know, kind of the tight end. They had a tight end that was – you know, highly rated gets hurt earlier in the year in Keithy, and then he gets his opportunity, and it's like, holy crud, this guy's unbelievable. Well, the amazing thing is that you have a tight end as your number 10 player, you know, on your big board right now, which tells you a lot about how much you respect Dalton Kincaid. Yeah, I I, I feel uh, I feel strongly about him, and I go back to the year – uh, when Keenan Allen came out, I think I, you know, had him as like the 18th player somewhere around there. He went in the third round, you know, some of it was injury related, but some guys you just watch him and you're like, yeah, it's an easy one to bet on. I'll bet on him. Uh, Daniel, look, I really appreciate you taking all this time. Thank you. And, uh, look forward to seeing you in Indianapolis at the combine. Thanks, Peter. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney world? Like, Hey, we came to play. Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Go for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this! How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. My thanks, as always, to Daniel Jeremiah. He's always concise, helpful, very well studied, and uh, look forward to him on NFL Network from the Scouting Combine. You know, the part of the Scouting Combine on TV that I always like, it's uh, Mike Mayock started this, and it was a fantastic addition because, look, at the Combine, You've got like 50, I think there's 56 hours of programming uh, over a six-day period from the Combine. So you've got to have some imagination if you're NFL Network. But the thing that I think is the best thing that they do at the Combine is first it was Mayock and now it's Jeremiah. They They find a spot in like, a, I, I think they do most of them on Saturday and Sunday. In a lull in the proceedings, 
they'll find a spot to spend seven minutes to talk about every team in depth in the NFL. Hey, here's what I think the Giants are going to do. They want to re-sign Daniel Jones, but they are not going to be held hostage. And here's what I look for them to do in the draft. You know, Evan Neal's got to play better. and so, But they just go over 15 points about every team. And I think it's just a great little Cliff's Notes version of the state of 32 teams. I love when they do that. You know, the unfortunate part is I'm not, you know, glued to the television during the combine because I'm either covering it or writing about it. So I don't hear most of that. But I guarantee you, if you turn on the combine for two or three hours this week and you're going to hear four or five of those. And that is some really, really good television. Anyway, looking forward to... um uh, you know, seeing their coverage out of the combine, looking forward to seeing Daniel Jeremiah in Indianapolis. Now, Miles, let's get on with the business of everything else that's going on. Some of it combine related, some of it draft related, some of it just NFL related. Let's start with the fact that there appears, appears to be only two relatively flawless uh, prospects in this draft. It seems like there's more suspects than prospects in this draft. And obviously uh, the best overall player that I think most people feel uh, there is in this draft is Georgia defensive tackle Jalen Carter. Didn't have great numbers, but everybody who's watched him play says that he is the legitimate item uh, and so you, you've got, you basically got Jalen Carter, who's maybe the top pick. And then you've got Will Anderson, the very productive with great numbers, a pass rusher from Alabama played significantly in all three, the last three seasons, uh, you know, 58 tackles for loss, 34 sacks. This guy is pretty near a can't miss dude um for people who want to get a pass rusher so i guess i would just ask you miles when you look at it everybody else after that starting with bryce young who probably is going to measure under six feet when he gets measured uh later on this week in indianapolis everybody else has a little bit of a nick to them or in some some ways, a, a big nick. But what do you think of the class as a whole? Well, as I've been digging into it more over the last you know week or so since the Super Bowl, basically into <laughs> two weeks ago, and now here I am in Indianapolis, and that is still one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, I guess because they added the 17th game, now it just seems like there's even less of a break between 2022 and 2023. But I mean. Looking at it in that way, what, what the conversation around Carter kind of reminds me of the conversation around Walker from last year, who ended up being the number one overall yeah. pick, which is that, you know, you might not see the stats, but if you look at the film and look at what he was asked to do, you really see that the ability is there. And I think that that kind of stuff did translate for Walker during the course of the season for the Jaguars, where you were able to see how he was able to pressure quarterbacks and he made impact plays. Yeah. And so if that's the case, 
you know, these Georgia guys, like, great. Like, somebody's going to get a fantastic defensive tackle. Um, what, I, what I did think was interesting, and you mentioned this in your column, Peter, from Daniel Jeremiah, is that he was talking about how this is one of the best tight end classes that he's ever seen. And that behemoth from Georgia is also one of the most fascinating prospects to me because it's not that I watch all kinds of college football. I really don't. Saturday is some, one of those days where I kind of need a little bit of a break sometimes. But when you watch Georgia and you watch their offense and you see number zero and what he's doing, you're like, oh, my goodness, this is wild. So he's not just somebody that can catch it. He can block. And so I, that, that to me is where I'm, I'm fascinated by this draft class because the tight end position is so important in people's offenses and you know you can utilize them in different ways in line and out flexed out whatever but if you have that kind of guy in your offense that can be that effective it really elevates you that much more so i i think you know we're going to kind of go in and out back and forth a little bit about you know the topics in indianapolis and we'll get to the quarterbacks in a minute but i I wanted to jump to something that I think is going to be sort of a sneaky, maybe not big story, but a very interesting story. Um, there are two uh, topics that the competition committee is going to review this week. What For, for people who don't really understand the rules-making process in the NFL, what basically happens is that the competition committee uh, which is an eight-member committee of NFL coaches and front office people. Uh, this group meets for the first time starting on Sunday of Combine Week. So as we record this on Monday, they started meeting just a day ago. They had their second day today. They will meet through Wednesday of this week. And what this week does is it lays all of the issues out on the table for the competition committee and what rules are going to be proposed, what rules might be changed. And to me, there are two big ones that will be discussed now and would very likely uh, be on the uh, voting rolls at the NFL owners meetings uh, starting on March 25th in Phoenix. Uh, so, you know, basically a month from now, uh, they will be discussing these things and whether to adopt them. Here's the two big ones. They will certainly discuss, there hasn't been a lot of public comment about this yet, but there's going to be. They will discuss whether to outlaw the quarterbacks and, and all running backs, all runners anyway, being pushed from behind by other members of the offensive unit. Uh, that obviously has gotten a lot of attention. You saw, you know, basically rugby scrums, eight yard quarterback sneaks when basically the quarterback has little to do with it. He's just being pushed through a mosh pit of guys. So that's going to be discussed, whether to outlaw that, and then secondly, uh, making roughing the passer reviewable. Um, just my total gut feeling, I think the push play uh, will end up being outlawed or severely restricted um, in, in how many people can push a runner 
I think it's more likely that it would be outlawed, but I think the one thing the NFL just really doesn't want to see is, you know, a couple of like a, a big tight end and a tackle getting behind a quarterback and pushing them uh, you know, with the offensive line in front of them also blocking to clear away. So my gut feeling is that's going to go away, but I don't think the uh, the the other one, roughing the passer, reviewable, is going to pass. Because think of it this way. You need 24 yes votes to pass something. You need a three-quarters majority among the 32 teams. So 24 teams would have to say, we want to add something to be reviewed uh, by, uh, you know, by obviously the, um, you know, the the uh, replay review officials. And I just think there is no appetite right now for what is sometimes a blown call. We all know that. But I don't think the NFL wants to go uh, down more down the rabbit hole um, of making roughing the passer reviewable. I, I just think about what they did with making pass interference reviewable after yeah. what had happened in the 2018 NFC championship game between the Rams and the saints. And that whole season was kind of a disaster from yeah. that standpoint. And, and, you know, that's, that's really not that long ago. And I think that being kind of fresh in people's minds where you have a judgment call basically in what pass interference was. And now it's almost the same sort of deal with roughing the passer. That's also a judgment call. And, you know, the rules are when in doubt, you're supposed to throw the flag. So I think that because it's protecting quarterbacks I don't, and because of what everybody experienced um, with the re reviewing pass interference, I, I don't think that they're going to want to go through something like that again. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, I think it's really unlikely, especially I think it was Judy Batista, maybe it was Mark Maskey, but uh, someone wrote today that uh, something like 85% of the roughing the passer calls were justified. And so I don't think there is such, there's a, there's a hue and cry over calls for two or three days after a bad one. Right. You know, the Tom Brady one with Brady Jarrett this year was horrible and probably cost Atlanta a win in that game. But but for the most part, I don't know that anybody in the NFL wants to see, look, I don't, I could care less what is up for replay review, but I just don't, I don't think that the owners in this league are going to view it as something so important that, that three quarters of, her, of them are going to vote for it. Um, Miles Adam Schefter uh, tweeted out today on Monday that, the Bears are likely to deal the top pick in the draft, which is really a totally unsurprising note. What it means is that clearly they're going to keep Justin Fields. I don't know anybody other than talk show hosts uh, who basically wanted Justin Fields traded by the Bears. You know, Justin Fields has been a C-plus to B quarterback rookie quarterback in his first and second year hasn't been great but he hasn't been zach wilson either 
And I think that it's ridiculous to trade up to take Justin Fields. He has one and a half good years overall with a bad supporting cast. And then you talk about trading him. I think it's a much better idea to hold on to him and to trade down. Your thoughts? I I would agree with you. Look, I mean, this is the critical third season, right? Because after that, then the Bears have to decide whether or not they're going to pick up his fifth-year option. But I I think that you've seen enough Mm -hmm. with Justin Fields to understand that the tools are there, right? It's not like we're talking about a quarterback who we think can't throw, he can't hit a pass, or he can't do anything with his legs, right? And that makes him really effective as a QB. We've seen Justin Fields do some incredible things. Now, the Bears haven't won that many games. But it's like you said, Peter, if you put a better supporting cast around him, then who knows what happens? And say, so I don't, even though it was a different regime that drafted him, yes, I, do, I think he has shown enough where you're saying to yourself, let's continue to work with these tools. Let's continue to see if we can craft a good team and let's see what he does in his third year. And if you have to pull the ripcord after that, then that's a different story. But I think right now, there's no reason really to pull it uh, on Justin Fields when you don't have, let's call it an Andrew Luck, right, coming out in the draft. And that's not to say that Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, Richardson, those guys, they're not going to be really good players. But there's nobody to that level of the Andrew Luck or even the Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, where you're like, no, 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 that's why you hit the ejector seat on this particular quarterback for the other one. I thought Daniel Jeremiah made a great point to me that uh... – Over the last uh, 12 drafts, there have been six times where a team has traded higher into the top five of the draft. In other words, they were either outside the top five or they were in the top five and then traded up even higher, uh, as the Bears did in 2017 with Mitchell Trubisky. But, and in every case, here are the six players that teams traded up to get. And by the way, traded more than 100% uh, as dictated by the old Jimmy Johnson trade chart, which is certainly not gospel, but it's interesting. But anyway, here are the six quarterbacks. Robert Griffin III, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Mitchell Trubisky, Sam Darnold, Trey Lance. It is just startling when you look at some of the trades that were made to go and get those players and look, it's possible, possible that Trey Lance may turn into a big star. You know, no one has given up on him yet, but there's not a single one of those quarterbacks. The closest one is golf. There's not a single one of those quarterbacks who's become a big star. And, and, And I I thought Jeremiah made a really, really good point to me when he said, essentially, think about, you know, these pieces and these, this is my words, not Jeremiah's, but Carolina is sitting there at number nine. They've got an absolutely desperate owner uh, in David Tepper, who wants a long-term starting quarterback yesterday. And how great would it be if there he is sitting you know, on the border of North and South Carolina, you know, basically on the border of the deep South. And if they could get the Alabama quarterback 
who has been great for the last two years. And, and look, I'm not saying that Bryce Young is going to be a great NFL player. I don't think anybody knows if he really will be. However, you know, if they could trade up, uh, if Carolina could trade up and, and get Bryce Young, you might be looking at a package that would approach what I'm about to say, that would approach, you know, in order for the first pick in the draft for Chicago to trade down, they could come away with the ninth pick in the draft this year, which is Carolina's first round pick, Carolina's second round pick, which is 39 overall, and first round picks in each of the next two drafts. And you might say, oh my God, that's way, way too much. Well, the problem is there are desperados in the top 10 of the draft. Houston picks two, Indianapolis four, Vegas seven, Carolina nine. They all need quarterbacks. So I will not be surprised if somebody in that uh, lineup gives Chicago an offer it can't refuse. Yeah. yeah. Excuse me. No, I mean, it's it's interesting because there are so many teams that seem to want to go the route of young quarterback as opposed to veteran quarterback. And when you do that, I mean, it, it's a team construction question too, right? How do you make sure that your team is at its best um, from the standpoint of your contracts and also who the players are? So if you're going with a young QB, that means that you have more flexibility to add guys in free agency, to trade for players that may be disgruntled in other places and then give them big contracts, you know, kind of like we saw what the Philadelphia Eagles did with A.J. Brown last year because they've got Jalen Hurts on the rookie deal. So you can do different things if you say, all right, let's use our draft capital and move up and get this guy that we really like in the draft, as opposed to maybe waiting for Aaron Rodgers to see what he's going to do or signing somebody like Derek Carr, or then like, I don't know, going somewhere and getting more of a bridge quarterback, perhaps like a Jimmy Garoppolo, right? There, there's still options <clears throat> on the table, but if you really want that homegrown guy, then sometimes you've got to give up a lot to go get him, especially if you're going to try to do it at number one overall. I, I'm not I'm not sure how it's all going to fall, Miles, but I sense that there's going to be some significant difference of opinion on the best quarterback in the draft. Uh, yeah. And, and the, the reason I would say that is that, you know, Bryce Young may measure. I'm just going to guess five, eleven and a half, something like that. There are going to be some teams that are not going to like that, period. Huh. And they might just say, hey, look. C.J. Stroud's four and a half inches taller than he is. He's got a more electric arm than Bryce Young does, even though <clears throat> Young can make every throw. Um, I mean, Will Levis probably has the best arm of the three of them. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, the other, the wildcard guy, Anthony Richardson from Florida, has a terrific arm too. But I wonder whether those four and a half, that four to four and a half inch difference between Stroud and Bryce Young is going to be a difference maker for t some teams uh, in the top five of the draft. I don't think it's just the height too. I think it could be the weight, you know, Bryce yeah. Young is, he is slight. So whether he comes in 
I don't, I don't know, somewhere from 180 to 190 pounds. I don't know exactly what it would be, but you know, that's another thing that teams take into account because your quarterback has to be available. So that durability factor does come into play a little bit. And, and you know, I don't necessarily think that those things are um, disqualifying, let's say, for Bryce Young to be drafted early. I don't think that that has to be the case at all. But it's something that teams have to think about, right? There is, there are exceptions, yes. But by and large, I mean, teams have all this data that they've collected of players who are successful at their positions, right? I mean, this goes back years and years and years and years and years. And so that's why when you talk about a quarterback being a little shorter, a quarterback being a little slighter of weight, that's why you have to say, all right, we can have this data, but then also what does the tape say? But what does also our research say? And how do we all uh, put this puzzle together so that we get what we believe is going to be an accurate picture and an accurate projection of what this guy can be in his NFL career. It's a lot that goes into it. I think it's pretty logical to suggest that Young and Stroud in some form go one and two. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the big question is whether Anthony Richardson could pass Will Levis. Will Levis took a lot of sacks last year in a rebuilding year at Kentucky. Um, and he threw a bunch of picks. He didn't have a great year. He had a toe injury. He had a shoulder injury. He lost Wandale Robinson, who was uh, his security blanket in 2021. So, <clears throat> you know, I I think there's going to be some skepticism about Will Levis. I'm skeptical about him because the guy puts mayonnaise in his coffee. And <laughs> I'm dead serious. There's a video out there of Will Levis squirting a huge amount of mayonnaise in his coffee swirling it around with a spoon and taking a big sip of this formerly black coffee, but now coffee ruined with thick gooey mayonnaise. Um, I mean, I'm sure that I caused a few people in the last 14 seconds to, to vomit while on the treadmill listening to this podcast. But anyway, Levis, I've thought he'd be a great guy to go to Josh McDaniels because McDaniels is one of those guys. He loves the project and Mm -hmm. McDaniels has done a really good job with Jared Stidham. I could see McDaniels saying, let's sign Jared Stidham for the next two years. He's a free agent. Let's sign Jared Stidham. Let's draft Will Levis and bring him along slowly. And who knows Stidham might win this job and force Levis to have to go elsewhere. But anyway, I, I think, I think Vegas would be interesting. The other the other guy, Anthony Richardson, Miles, I don't know what you've heard about him, but you know, over the weekend making some very cursory calls about the quarterbacks. And uh, there's a tremendous amount of interest in Anthony Richardson. Even though he only won six games at Florida and only started for one year at Florida, I think there's fascination with him because – I mean, this is a guy who had touchdown runs of 80 and 81 yards while at Florida, 6'4", 232, a a huge guy, and yet runs like a rabbit. Um, I I think he could be a really, really interesting project for some coach out there. 
Yeah, you you watch the highlights and he looks the part, right? I mean, you know, yeah. like you just said, those those runs that he had for touchdowns, I mean, they're electrifying. And it's something that you don't often see out of the quarterback position, especially. And he has the arm talent to make the throws, it looks like, but it's just, can you be consistent, right? Can you make the throws? Can you make the layups? To quote uh, um, Indianapolis GM Chris Ballard, the, the throws that you have to make that are closer to the line of scrimmage, how do you do that? So I think that if you go to the right system, and you know you are around a coach that can patiently teach you everything that you need to learn there certainly is great potential for anthony richardson but it, it becomes man where does he go and is there so much pressure for him to play early on that he doesn't get the time to marinate and develop the way yeah. he might need to uh, so that that to me is going to be really interesting to see like where he falls in the draft because I mean, if you're a first round pick, then ostensibly they've got five years to see what you can do, right? Because of the fifth year option. If you go later than that, then you're kind of on the clock almost a little bit sooner in some yeah. ways because you you're only almost have four Desmond years. Ritter. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what. Um, everybody thinks about him neither does anybody but you know when you have a prospect like that where there's so much projection and there hasn't been as much film that you can really look at it becomes how do you get him to the right place where he can succeed yeah have you ever brought your magic to walt disney world like hey we came to play did you tip your tiara to a creole princess or get goofy officially when we come through it's true magic because we came to play at walt disney world resort for the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Go for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this! How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Um, Miles, let's talk for a minute about Jalen Ramsey. You formerly um, worked in that organization. You know the way Les Snead thinks, the way uh, Kevin Demoff, the COO, Tony Pastor is the cap guy and, and Demoff's assistant. And they are willing to take risks. And it seems to me right now they may take a risk this offseason in trading Jalen Ramsey. I'm a thousand percent for it because Jalen Ramsey right now, like as I look at this situation, to me, it makes so much sense that they would, that they would talk about trading him now. And the, the question is how much can they get for him? The reason I think it makes sense to trade him now is that, you know, he's uh, whatever he's going to be this year, 29. Yeah. This is, he's entering his age 29 season. And, you know, is he still going to be good by the time the Rams are good? And by jettisoning his salary and, to, and getting in, maybe let's just say they got a mid two and a mid three for him or a mid two and a mid four, uh, or, or maybe even a low one. I kind of doubt the low one, but who knows? Yeah. But, 
what's Jalen Ramsey worth, do you think, right now in the NFL? Yeah, I think people would probably think low one, but I find that the public tends to overstate trade values, you know, and I think you're more on track with a two and a three, perhaps a two and a four, depending on where that four lands in the draft. And you pointed this out in your column too, Peter, that the Rams probably are going to continue to trade back and accumulate more picks because they've got to stock up the cupboard with better depth pieces and better pieces that completely fit what the systems are on offense and on defense. So this is kind of a a reset here for what it is that they've been in the past and what it is that they need to be. And, and, you know, I was talking to somebody, one of my really good friends who still works for the Rams and what he was saying is that, you know, when you have these picks that have worked out in the past, you know, your mid rounders, Cooper cup, best one that you can think of, right? It's a third round pick. John Johnson was also drafted in the third round. He turned out to be a very good safety. Sebastian Joseph Day, another one of those guys who's a mid, I think he's a sixth round pick and he's now elsewhere. And they've, they've gotten good return from the compensatory picks on those guys too, but you haven't necessarily hit as much on these picks that have been there you know, in, in the last couple of years. Tutu Atwell, for instance. Creed Humphrey was yeah. still on the board when the Rams took Tutu Atwell and how much better off would they have been if they had that guy as their center and how much worse off would Kansas City have been if they didn't have that guy as their center. So that's another part of it. Another part too is that Brad Holmes, who was very, very heavily involved in the Rams drafting process is now in Detroit. And, you know, we've all looked at what Detroit's doing and what they're building. That brain drain might be a little more significant than we might've all thought, you know? So that, I think yeah. that's, that's where the Rams are right now is interesting. And if they can get good value for Jalen Ramsey, it makes sense to get more shots at the dartboard. Hey, look, in my opinion, uh, this is just my gut feeling right now. And I wrote this in my column that I think the Rams have a very good chance of having 25 picks in the next two drafts. And I believe that the Rams are going to be a different team than the one that uh, overpaid. And I understand why they overpaid for guys like Von Miller. You know, they got it. They paid a two and a three for a rental uh, for half a year. And so uh, having said all that, I think now they realize, okay, listen, we want our Super Bowl. That's a great way to go, but you can't continue to bury money year after year after year in the future. At some point, you got to cut the cord and you've got to draft a bunch of young players and you got to put them out there. You know, they've done that in recent years with guys like Ernest Jones. They need to do that more and more and more. In fact, this, this, uh, this week in my column, I said what I project for them is that they'll have three fours, a five, four sixes, and a seven in this draft this year. And if that happens, that'll mean they have 10 picks in the last 150 of this draft, which, you know, look, you're not going to get Brock Purdy every year. Uh, you're, But the Rams have been pretty good. They certainly don't bat a thousand low in the draft, but all you have to do is really bat about 300 low in the draft and you're okay. But anyway, I think we're going to see the Rams do some different stuff 
um, in the next couple of drafts. Um, I, I, no one really has is talking about this right now. I kind of find it fascinating. And in my column today, I called it the Netflix Football League. And it is, um, it's interesting to me that the NFL is going into business with Netflix. Uh, Patrick Mahomes has a new production company that he is working with, sort of like Peyton Manning's Omaha production company. And Omaha PM2, <clears throat> or is it 2 p.m.? I think it's 2 p.m., yeah. 2 p.m. Yeah. Um, Patrick Mahomes production company and NFL Films, in conjunction with Netflix, are going to do a seven or eight part series that will drop in the middle of July, just before the start of training camp, trying to ramp up uh, interest in pro football coming into the 2023 season. And what they've done is they have taken Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, and Marcus Mariota, and they wired them for sound for every game each one of them played last year. And they had an NFL Films producer with them for the season. So they were around them, interviewing them, doing all kinds of stuff. It's not a hard knocks deal. They're not inside the building and everything, but they do go home with these guys and they have them mic'd up uh, in every game. And, you know, and I'll just tell you, I talked to one of the executive producers uh, for NFL Films named Keith Cosro. And he told me this great story about how, uh, you know, and one of the reasons why I have hope that it's not going to be the syrupy, sweet, hard knocks is that uh, Kirk Cousins went home from the third game of the season and invited uh, the camera crew to come back with them. And they have a big fire pit in their backyard in Minneapolis. And so his kids were there and relatives were there. It was a big gathering. And after a couple of hours, everybody just left and faded away and Cousins was the only guy still out there and he was kicking himself, even though they beat the lions, he was kicking himself over an overthrow that he made uh, late in that game that he felt should have been a touchdown. And I went back and watched it. It should have been a touchdown, but, <laughs> and so instead of just varnishing over that, that is going to be on full display in this show, which I think is smart. I think it's smart to show some of the pain that Marcus Mariota went through because as Castro told me, uh, they probably could have gone out and gotten another big name quarterback, a Joe Burrow, a Josh Allen, whoever, to be a part of this show. They would have loved to have done it. But it's much better to get a marginal quarterback who got his job taken away during the season. If you want to see the whole length and breadth of what it's like to be a quarterback in the NFL. So I'll watch it and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Oh yeah, me too. I mean, I, I love those Netflix sports documentaries on the plane from um, Los Angeles. I'm to here in Indianapolis. I was watching drive to survive because I didn't have much of a chance to watch that over the weekend and it just came out and I got to get all my episodes in before the first race this coming weekend. So absolutely no, they, they do a really good job. NFL films is a really good job. And I know they also got practice footage 
of Patrick Mahomes, yeah. you know, it, because they were micing him up um, for one practice a week from their in-house folks. Cause I know some of them pretty well at the 65 toss pair trap production. And they do a great job um, with what they do internally too with the Kansas city chiefs. So it should be a really good and informative show. And because you have these kind of three different levels of QB, right. You know, the super bowl winner, the MVP, you know, the league and the super bowl you got Kirk cousins who made it to the playoffs. Then you got Marcus Mariota, who's a former number two overall pick who is now kind of a journeyman quarterback right yeah. and then like you said i mean he got his job taken away and that's something that also happens to other qb so it is it's different levels and it should be fascinating to watch so we're going to end with something that i guarantee you nobody is talking about i haven't heard six words about it since it happened the other day but i am totally fascinated with davis webb becoming the new quarterback coach of the Denver Broncos under obviously under Sean Payton and offensive coordinator, Joe Lombardi and his first assignment will be, you know, Hey, no, no pressure Davis. You've got to help resuscitate Russell Wilson's career. And what I find really interesting is that I looked this up last night when I was writing my column Davis Webb was a junior in high school in Texas when Russell Wilson was drafted. So, you know, he's, I think he's six years younger than Russell Wilson. And I don't know. I just, I'm not saying alarm bells are going off. Maybe it's better to have a guy who's been in the game and working with a really bright guy like Brian Dayball and, and uh, Mike Kafka and all that. So I'm not, I'm not killing it. Okay. But I am saying I'll be watching this one really, really closely. I mean, that's, that's a tough assignment, man. That's a tough assignment. I mean, you know, when you're going into a place where the quarterback had as bad of a year as Russell Wilson did last year. And yeah, we all know Sean Payton is going to get the credit if, um, Russell Wilson has a much better year in 2023 and probably rightfully so he sets the agenda he's going to be offensive play call course but when it's not just Sean Payton it's offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi who has been with Sean Payton for years and years and years understands that system inside and out now you have a guy he's 28 years old and he has to really coach up Russell Wilson who needs to be coached yeah. He needs it. And it's something that he has acknowledged. He wants to be coached. Man, that's that's tough for a 28-year-old really as your first yeah. coaching job. That, that's, a, <laughs> that's a hard assignment, man, to, to yeah. do that with a Super Bowl winning quarterback who is older yeah. than you and was doing stuff when you were still in high school and in college. That, I'm, I'm interested to see how that goes. Yeah, it's it'll be really fun to watch. Miles Simmons, I'll see you out in Indianapolis in a couple of days. Thanks so much for joining me. Go out and have some fun and uh, see if you can break some stories so that the rest of the world can look at you in great envy. (laughs) I'm at least going to have a steak. I don't know about anything else, but we'll get that done. (laughs) You're in the state capital of the world for crying out loud. I'm excited. St. Elmo's right right down the street from you. So 
have fun and I'll see you out there in a couple of days. And, and everyone, thanks for joining us this week on the Peter King podcast. We'll be back next week with another edition of the show uh, with what we learned in Indianapolis and what we're looking for entering the 2023 NFL draft.